0: Recorded, go. Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh, now I'm going to Uh panic. (laughs) Hi, everybody. Welcome to uh, uh, our next series of of four presentations that I have entitled Nutrition 101. And uh, I do that because this is basic knowledge that I feel everybody should have. And today, we're going to begin uh, uh, this series with uh, what I call uh, uh, the healthy diet and its illusion. Everybody tells you, if you go to a doctor of any kind for any reason, they always say, you know, try to eat a healthy diet, but they never tell you what that is. And they leave you to your own devices, and which uh, for most of us has proved to be catastrophic. Uh, but uh, So I want to talk about, basically, about what a healthy diet might be. And um, then I want to talk about the, the three basic food groups. I won't talk about fiber today because it's kind of obvious, but um, I want to talk about proteins, fats, and carbohydrates and uh, tell you how to make wise choices in each of those groups, and then I will shatter the whole business by telling you it's, it's an illusion and why. Uh, so basically when someone says, well, what's a healthy diet? And then we're somebody, this somebody, this hypothetical person is someone who's not overweight, They don't need to lose weight. They don't have a metabolic disorder like hypoglycemia or diabetes. Um, They just would like to stay well. And the best thing overall for that general purpose uh, that has the longest and best track record is what's called the 40-30-30 plan. Uh, And that means you consume 40% of your intake of food from proteins, 30% from fat, and 30% from carbohydrates. Now, that having been said, proteins, fats, and carbohydrates all have subgroups. And some of them are really good, and some of them are not so good, and a couple of them are really bad. So I want to break down those three groups so that you might understand when you do choose food that you choose the right or the better uh, option. So first thing, we're going to talk about protein. And uh, the reason why is because protein is a Greek word that means of first importance. Uh, Even the Greeks uh, who were very athletic and very uh, physique minded realized that a high protein diet kept you lean and a high carbohydrate diet made you fat. And uh, even those ancient Greeks figured that out and our dietitians still haven't. But that's for another day when I really feel like ranting. Uh, But for now uh, suffice it to say that there are two uh, two forms of protein, generally speaking. Uh, Complete proteins and incomplete proteins. Complete proteins primarily, although not exclusively, come from animal products. Meat, chicken, fish, fowl, etc. And incomplete proteins primarily come from vegetable sources. Now there are some exceptions. There are some complete proteins Uh, in the vegetable world, like uh, soy, which I don't really like, and pea protein, uh, which has become quite popular lately. Um, So let's clarify this. Why is one protein complete and one not? There are 8 to 10 essential amino acids that you must have um, every day uh, because your body cannot manufacture those. There are hundreds of amino acids but your can, body can make all of them but these 10. That's why we call them essential. They must be taken in from the outside. A complete protein has all 10 amino acids at 100% value, which means that your body can utilize 100% of that protein. So what that means is if you have a piece of chicken and it's, it's got a value of 22 grams of protein, you will be able to utilize 22 grams because it's complete. It has all 10 amino acids that you don't make. An incomplete protein, on the other hand, has one or more of those 10 amino acids either deficient or missing altogether. And there is a strange law when it comes to protein. It's called the protein efficiency ratio. And what that really means is that the lowest amino acid governs how much you can absorb. So let's say nine of those amino acids are at 100% in this particular vegetable food, okay? And one of them is at 50%, and it's usually methionine in, in, in vegetation. So let's say one of them is at 50%. That means that if you have a vegetable source that you're consuming and it has 20 grams of protein, you will only be able to utilize 10 of those grams because you are limited to the weakest amino acid. Now, many processed protein foods, like designer burgers and things that vegetarians think is healthy, Um, have been embellished with missing amino acids to bring them up to 100%. So from that point of view, um, they're probably okay as far as supplying amino acids. The next group is probably the most confusing of all, and that is the fat group. There is more misunderstanding about fats. We have gone from low-fat diets to no-fat diets to high-fat diets, and nobody still understands why next to protein, fats are the most essential food in your diet. Uh, We have found out many, many decades ago that the low-fat diet is probably the worst, not only weight loss diet, but the worst diet for a human being ever devised. And one of the great gurus, and we're going back to the 80s, one of the great gurus, of the vegetarian diet. His name was Nathan Pritikin. And he used to preach that meat eaters are all gonna die of heart disease. And vegetarians are gonna live to 100 because they're gonna be protected from all of that nasty cholesterol. Nathan Pritikin died at 47 years of age from a heart attack. And that's because he consumed so little fat in his diet And fat is so required for good cardiovascular muscle strength uh, that his heart gave out. So these extremes are not always a very good idea. So let's break down all of these weird fats and let's shed light on which ones are good, which ones are not so good, and which ones are really terrible. Okay, first of all, we have saturated fats. Saturated fats primarily although not exclusively, come from animal sources. Uh, So meat, chicken, fish, animal fats. Uh, We call them saturated, and here's where I have to get into just a wee bit of chemistry. So all you have to do is try to visualize this. I'll promise I'll I'll coat it with sugar so it'll go down easy. But all fat molecules, imagine them as, as little round circles with fingers sticking out of them. Those are called bonds. And fat bonds to itself and to other fats by using those sticky fingers. Well, a saturated fat has virtually no sticky fingers that have nothing on the end. They all have carbon atoms. So imagine all of these sticky fingers with little carbons on the end of them. And that's what makes saturated fat solid at room temperature because it's very dense. That will become important and you'll see why in a minute. Saturated fats do not form free radicals easily or at all. And I'll explain that in a second. The next group are the unsaturated fats, the polyunsaturated fats, and the trans fats all of these we lump together because they all have a similar problem. Unsaturated and polyunsaturated oils or fats have the same fingers on them, but they don't have any carbon on them. They're what we call open-ended bonds. They're just hanging out there naked. And so things that float by can stick to them. And the most common atom that sticks to vegetable oils, like unsaturated and polyunsaturated, is oxygen. And oxygen is very prevalent in the air, and oxygen accelerates its busy activity when it gets warm. And it really goes crazy when it gets hot, which means when you heat it. When these fats collect enough oxygen, they form free radicals. Now what in the heck are free radicals? Free radicals are chemical buzz bombs. Just imagine them as little bombs. They are molecular atomic structures with missing electrons on the outer ring. This makes them very unstable. So what they're going to do when they get in your body is they're going to run around and they're going to look for that electron. They're going to steal it from somewhere. And in the process of stealing that missing electron, they permanently mutate the DNA of the cell they stole it from. Problem number one. The second problem is because they're highly oxidized, they form free radicals that can attack specific cell structures in your body. Let's give an example, one that's pretty obvious. You may have heard of a condition called atherosclerosis, which is the occlusion or plugging up of the arteries, leading to blockages and heart attacks and premature demise. we could spend an entire class talking about how that works, which we won't today, but we might do that down the road. Uh, But suffice it to say that these free radicals from vegetable oils, from rancid oxidized vegetable oils, specifically attack the muscle wall of your arteries. And over time, they damage that muscle wall, cause it to thicken, and threaten to rupture your artery, which is probably not a good idea. So your body in its wisdom says this is not a good idea. I better put a bandage on that spot before we blow the hose. And so it lays down calcium ions over the wound to seal it off. That condition is called calcification of the arteries. Over time, cholesterol, which is happily floating in your bloodstream, doing thousands of good things for you, is magnetically or ionically attracted to the calcium. And so it starts sticking to the calcium, but only in the places where the calcium is at. And over time, like an Oreo cookie you end up getting thicker and thicker deposits, calcium, cholesterol, calcium, cholesterol, and pretty soon the blood can't get through. But cholesterol in no way has ever caused this problem. Free radicals from rancid vegetable oils have caused this problem. Now, the last fat that we need to be concerned about are the monounsaturated oils. They are generally speaking liquid at room temperature, like unsaturated and polyunsaturated. But they don't have a whole lot of fingers with nothing on them. Most of their fingers are full up with carbon. And you can prove this by taking your bottle of olive oil and putting it in the fridge overnight. Lo and behold, in the morning, it is solid. And you have to leave it sit out for a minute in order for it to warm up because it's almost saturated, not quite. Monounsaturated oils, uh, the two of the most common that you'll run into and have the ease of using, of course, are olive oil and avocado oil. Olive oil is the foundation of the Mediterranean diet, which is why, for that and several other reasons, it is considered one of the healthiest overall diets in the world, because you'll never find an Italian using corn oil. They'd rather be shot at dawn first. It's not going to happen. Uh, they put olive oil on everything and everybody with great uh, repetition. They swear it's the best oil for your skin. The only downside with olive oil, and it's not really a problem, is, is that it will not tolerate high heat. Uh, you can heat it. You can saute with it. Uh, You can certainly put it on salads and other cold preparations. But if you really want to fry the heck out of something, and you don't want to use lard or butter because you've been brainwashed to think that lard causes heart disease, which, again, it doesn't. But let's say you're in that state of mind and you just can't bear to do it. You can always use avocado oil. Avocado oil will take a very high high temperature without smoking. So between the two, you could exclusively use those. However, uh, saturated fats that come from animals or palm oil uh, or coconut oil have many other benefits besides the fact that they don't produce free radicals and damage your heart. They contain other factors, other fatty acids not found in any other fat. Now, the last group are the carbohydrates, and these are a bit easier to understand because we only have two groups, just like proteins. The carbohydrate groups are refined and complex. And that's it. Complex carbohydrates, which are the best for you, are whole grains and vegetables, other than root vegetables. When you cook root vegetables, which you most often have to, maybe radishes and carrots might be, but raw potatoes are rough. Um, you basically reduce them to refined or simple carbs. But complex carbohydrates are the ones of choice because they take a long time to break down. Refined carbohydrates, however, break down in minutes sometimes, making their energy source, which is glucose, highly available instantly. And glucose, of course, is blood sugar. It is the energy fuel of the body. That's what your body uses for energy most of the time. But there's two potential problems connected with this. Number one is that the standard American or industrialized diet is primarily made up of 90% refined carbohydrates, sugars, uh, refined grains, uh, white flour, etc. And all of those convert to glucose or blood sugar, often in minutes. If you'd like to try a little experiment, next time you have one of those white hamburger buns around, or a slice of white bread, or a slice of whole wheat bread that probably isn't whole wheat at all. It's white bread with food coloring. But that's another story. Uh, One day we'll spend an afternoon talking about how evil the food industry really is. But um, put it in your mouth and chew it. But don't swallow it. Just leave the gooey mass in your mouth. And in just a few minutes, very few, the thailand, which is an enzyme, in your saliva will begin already breaking down that simple starch into sugar. And that mass of gooey stuff will taste sweeter and sweeter and sweeter because it's already being converted to sucrose. And that's one step away from glucose. The second problem with a high refined carbohydrate diet uh, that most of us live off of Is the fact that we're too inactive. You know these refined carbohydrates might have been helpful you know 200 years ago when most of us had manual labor most of the time one way or the other. Uh, But those days have since long gone bye-bye. When we're home we're relatively inactive, when we're at work most of the time we're relatively inactive, which is why It is absolutely essential that you have a regular workout schedule. And I don't need to go into that because in that instance, I'm preaching to the choir. So I will not put you to sleep by telling you what you should do. You already know. And I trust most of you are doing so. uh, Complex carbohydrates can take hours to convert to glucose. And that's a good thing because that means the glucose is trickling into your bloodstream by the dropper full and not by the bucket full. And your body has a chance to utilize it instead. But when your glucose levels from refined carbohydrates and sugars rise rapidly, your body has to get rid of that because it's deadly. So it secretes a hormone called insulin, which converts the glucose to triglycerides and shoves it in your fat cell. Which is why we always say that carbohydrates, especially refined ones, are the biggest cause of overweight and obesity. And in America, we are now at 54, 54% overweight and obese individuals. We've crossed the halfway mark. And that's because of the standard American diet. All right, so now we go back to 40, 30, 30. And we can talk about which protein, complete proteins, are the best. Fats, unsaturated, or saturated, and monounsaturated are the two best. And carbohydrates would be complex carbohydrates. And so if you want an ideal regular diet just for health and wellness, then you want to choose from those groups. If you are one of these individuals who falls into that 54% bracket, and you would like to take off some of that bracket and lose a few pounds then you're going to rapidly sign up for enroll in and pay close enough attention to kelly's weight management program because if you haven't done it before then you're in for a surprise because it works and if you've done it before and this shut-in has uh increased your physical dimensions farther than you may have liked, then you might want to consider re-enrolling again because excess weight causes physical stress. We already have enough emotional stress right now with all the crap going on in the world. The last thing you need is to pile some physical stressors on yourself at the same time. So what you will do if you look down and it's harder to see your shoes than it was three months ago, you will promptly enroll in the next upcoming class. Now, I'm going to conclude my discussion today with the fact why most of what I just told you is a bunch of crap. And the reason for that is because of the way the food industry processes our food. It's really hard to get pure food, and here's why. It begins with poor farming techniques. Back in the late 1800s, even early 1900s, when farmers staked out a piece of land, started farming their crops, after a few years, the yield got lower and lower, and pretty soon they and the crops were starving to death. And nobody knew why. They had a few ideas, but nobody knew why. So what did they do? They upped and moved Mama and the 16 kids two miles down the road to Virgin Land and started all over again. And then uh, in the the fairly early 1900s, along came the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And they took it upon themselves to figure out why all this was happening. Why was our land just going under? And they discovered that plants need three minerals. And this was the beginning of the end. And they discovered that if they re-embellished the farmland with what, if anybody who's a home gardener knows, is three letters called NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potash or potassium. And if they put those three minerals back into the farmland in the right ratio, depending upon what Farmer John wanted to grow on that land, they could keep that land fertile forever. They could increase the yield per acre. Farmer loved that. More money in the bank. It was a great idea. However, they didn't think it through. And it's kind of what human beings do in a lot of instances when they screw around with nature. They don't think about, they solve one problem and they don't think about what else they're causing down the road by doing so. And this was the case. So here we go. Each year, the farmer tills in NPK, these three minerals. Crops grow, everybody's happy. In fact, the soil is so Rich that they can sometimes, depending upon the weather, get another crop in before it gets too cold. Then the profits were really good. But what they failed to realize was that every time they planted their crops, the plants didn't just take out those three minerals, the plants took out all the minerals they need, which are at least 70 of them. There's calcium, there's magnesium. There's potassium, which they replace. There's uh, uh, chromium, vanadium, uh, molybdenum. I mean, there's literally 70 of them. So here's the problem. Every year, they plant the crops. The plants take all 70 minerals out, and we put three back. And after a few years, the plants become grossly mineral deficient. But they still grow because they're getting the three Growth hormones for plants, basically. And now the plants become sick because they don't have the nutrients they need, or all of them. So now insects flying by go, oh, look, diseased plants. It's our job to eat them because they're not fit for anybody else. So then the farmer panics and says, now what am I going to do? These bugs are infesting like like locusts, eating all my plants. So companies like Monsanto come along and create insecticides to kill the bugs and coat the plants with poison. This does not increase their mineral value. It decreases their value because now we have toxic residuals on our food. Now let's talk about vitamins. Vitamins are manufactured in plants at the last stages of ripening. They are there, especially vitamin C and the B complex, because bugs don't like them. And so it's the plant's defense system against invasion. But we don't pick our fruits and vegetables when they're ripe, because they'd be rotten before they got to your neighborhood supermarket. We pick them green which means there's no vitamins in this stuff, or very few, very low. Now, how do they solve this problem? Well, all this produce goes to huge warehouses in big cities, and when your local market calls up and say, hey, I need some XYZ, and if it's not in season, they spray it with another chemical that ripens it in 48 hours or so, and they send it to the market, and if it doesn't look quite right, they spray it with food coloring so that it looks rich and ripe, and then they wax it so it has shine to it. And you take it home and you think it's good for you. So how do we overcome this problem? Well, we can't uh, in and of itself, but there is a way we can do a lot about it. First of all, when you get fruits and vegetables home, if you cannot raise them yourself, Try to buy organic. Now, organic will solve one problem. There won't be any wax. There won't be any uh, uh, dyes. There'll be ugly fruits and vegetables. If you go in a supermarket and you ever look at the organic section, it really looks awful. I mean, there's wormholes in there, and there's blemishes, and which are all spray-painted over if it's not organic. So from that point of view, it's a good thing. But organic produce has no more mineral content than any other, because it's still planted on mineral-deficient soils, because nobody, nowhere, know-how is replacing full-spectrum minerals. So what can we do about that problem? Well, you can take a full-spectrum vitamin-mineral supplement every day of your life. And the one that I formulated, which is one a lot of you use, it's called High Vitality full-spectrum liquid, is in a base of 72 micro plant-derived trace minerals, the very ones you can't get from food anymore. And so we've got your bases covered. We also offer a separate trace mineral supplement, which is 100% colloidal plant-derived trace minerals. And we have that for people who need or want extra mineralization for a wide variety of different reasons. And if you want to find out if you're one of those victims that could benefit from that, you just ask Kelly and we're done. Um, And she knows about those things. So those are the two things you can do to try to offset what the food industry is desperately trying to do. Because you must understand they are very much like the pharmaceutical industry. They're not your friend. They're only interested in one thing, and that's food longevity and food preservation so that it can stay on the shelf and stay in the bin until they convince you enough to buy it. And then, funny enough, when you buy it and you get it home, all of a sudden it has an expiration date that's three days away if that stuff is full of as much preservatives as we know it is, I doubt that expiration date is very valid. But why do they put expiration dates on food? So you'll panic, throw it away, and go buy some more. And that keeps the food industry in big bucks. Now, that's not true with all foods. Some foods, like raw uh, raw meats, raw produce, uh, dairy products do have an expiration date. It's usually much longer than what's on the carton or the package, but they do obviously go bad. Uh, If you leave your uh, celery in the bin too long and you discover it later, it's kind of mushy by then. So things do break down. But there's so many things in the food industry. Uh, One of the things that I often find fascinating uh, uh, is uh, canned goods. Not that canned goods are very good for you because they have no nutrients at all, but let's say you have some around, and you'll notice it'll say expiration date or Best Buy. The purpose of canning is so that the food doesn't go bad. So what's with the expiration date? It's there so you panic and go buy more. The food industry is not your friend. Next week we're going to talk about the 17 vitamins, what they are, why they are, and why they're so darn important. And so for now, since there's no worse death than being talked to death, I will shut up and allow Kelly to unmute you and probably turn off the recording. And if there's anybody who has any questions, comments, whatever, I will attempt to Address those in the time we have available. All right, you have to unmute yourself and